All right, all I want to say is I didn't do it. <laughs> Beth. <laughs> Am I supposed to go now? Yeah, you're, you're leading the singing. Oh, no, no, no. No, I am not leading the singing, that's for sure. If you have a Bible, open to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Uh, thank you to Ethan and to Beth for, for leading us to see... Um, the glory of our Savior, His love for us, um, and we sing about that. Well, I didn't know that about that hymn. I had no idea. Um, powerful, powerful story. First Samuel chapter 24, I, I want to kind of continue in this vein that we were in this morning. I, I've been in First John. Uh, we've been walking through that, you know, fairly quickly through First John. Um, but based on our text this morning... Uh, I want to go back and give you sort of a little bit of the context after the fact. Uh, I was at lunch with some people uh, today, and, and they said, Boy, I'm glad it was you up there saying Mephibosheth and not me. Um, how'd you like it if your mom named you Mephibosheth? Um, but uh, anybody ever really paid much attention, studied the, the life of Mephibosheth? Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful picture of Adoption, and I want tonight to show you um, the story around it. And in that, I want to show you tonight one example of dealing with adversaries, dealing with adversaries, uh, kind of a different vein, but but in the same storyline. Let's read this together, uh, and then we'll go back and pick it apart. First Samuel chapter twenty-four. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told. Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men out of Israel, out of all Israel, and went to seek David and his men in front of the, the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him. Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, uh, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed." So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told you, told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands." I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. 
May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the, has, after whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Uh, and you have declared this day how you have dealt, with, dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to meet this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be a king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now, basically, that's a long story, and you probably got the gist of it. But let me just repaint it for you, because you may have skipped over how embarrassing this is, how real this is. Saul, uh, the king of Israel, is pursuing David. Saul is pursuing David to take his life. David is the one, if you remember, just a few chapters before this, he killed a giant. When the rest of Saul's army was shaking, paralyzed with fear, refusing to go out onto the battlefield against this, this Philistine, this giant. This little boy comes with lunch, and he hears the taunts of this giant on the battlefield. And he says, the Lord's delivered me from the lion, from the bear. Who is this Philistine that the Lord can't take care of? And he goes out there, you remember the story, he takes those stones, he whirls that, that uh, slingshot around, and he lets them fly, and he kills the giant, runs over, takes Goliath's sword, takes the head off of Goliath. Well, David is instantly the most popular man in Israel, bar none. I mean, the rest of the story is he comes back in, and all of the females throughout the land are now making up songs and singing songs to, to David, okay? Top of the charts, you know, Justin Bieber, nothing on, on, on what they're singing about David, right? Well, Saul is enraged. Saul can't take it. He can't stand it because they're looking at David instead of him. He becomes so jealous that he numerous on numerous occasions tries to take the life of David this particular day David finds himself hiding in a cave when lo and behold who walks in Saul and Saul doesn't know that David's in the cave and the Bible is pretty frank the Bible here it says that he went in to relieve himself and that wasn't to lie down and take a nap he went in to 
use the bathroom as clean as I can be up here. And David's in the cave. And his men begin to say to him, David, this is the day that God told you about. This is the day when he's delivered Saul into your hand. He, he has no clue that you're here, David. It would be so easy. Take your knife and just take his life right there, David. And David thinks about it. And he entertains it. And we know that because he winds up crawling over to where Saul is. He's quiet. It says that he stealthily, try using that tomorrow in a sentence, stealthily, a cop pulls you over. Why were you going so fast? Well, I was driving stealthily, you know. Uh, he sneaks over to where Saul is, and he just reaches out his knife, and he just takes the corner of his robe without Saul knowing, and just takes the corner off the robe. It's an amazing story. And then he sort of sneaks back to where he was, waits for Saul to finish. Saul goes out, and David comes out after him and says, look how close I was. Now, I want you to see in this, I want you to see a picture of just one way that I think God would have us to deal with adversaries. We have to keep in mind that this is specifically talking about David. So everything that was written about or to David doesn't necessarily mean that it applies across the board to you and I. You or I. Uh, have you ever been the king of Israel? Neither have I. And so there are some historical, temporal promises that were made just to David. But there are some principles within this that we can pull out and glean. And I want to show them to you as far as dealing with an adversary. Number one, when you follow Christ, they will pursue you. And, and I, I say this often, but I still repeatedly uh, have people come into my office and say, I don't understand. I mean, I, I've come to Christ. I'm doing everything I can to follow Him. But I, I just don't understand why things seem to be getting worse. I mean, my, my boss is on my case. My wife is on my case. And this and that. And I want to say to them, that's part of it. That's sometimes part of it. When you come to Christ, it doesn't mean that everyone will all of a sudden sing your praises. And you don't become the most popular guy at your workplace or in your home. You're not going to walk in after praying to receive Christ and all of a sudden have your wife begin to sing songs about you, like the women sang about David, you know. It's just not going to happen. There will be people in your life, as you try to follow after Christ, that will come after you in a bad way. They will pursue you. We see this here in verses 1 and 2. The Bible here says that Saul gathers together 3,000 men, 3,000 choice men to come after David. Now, that number really means nothing, except whenever you see it in context compared to David's number. If you go back to, you don't have to turn there, but you can, back to chapter 23, verse 13, and we learn that there David had about 500, or 600, 600 men. This was five times the number of men that David had. This was how really paranoid Saul had become. And this was really a testimony to what Saul wanted to do to David. He knew that David had roughly a few hundred men, 600 men. 
But he gathers together 3,000 men out of Israel because he doesn't just want to kill David, he wants to annihilate David. When David came back and those women began to sing the songs about David, and Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands, it cut him to the heart. And children were playing in the streets, and I can just picture it in the streets of Israel. They're running around, and one, a kid runs out and says, he runs out right in front of the king's processional and just says, Look, I'm David, and twirls his slingshot and acts like he slings one at the king. And it just enrages Saul all the more. He doesn't just want to kill David. He wants to annihilate him. And I would again tell you what I've told you numerous times. that Jesus has told us that if we follow him, we can expect this. He looked at the crowds and he said to them, If you want to follow me, take up your cross. And the cross was not an emblem to be worn around the neck. It was not a bumper sticker to be put on your chariot. It was not a bracelet to be worn around your wrist. The cross was an instrument of death. It was an instrument of torture. And Jesus said to them, when you come after me, expect it, because they will come after you. They hated him, and they will hate us all the more. Not only will they come after you, but they will do whatever, whatever it takes to get to you. And just one example is provided here, that there will be people who will lie about you. I've had this happen to me as a pastor. Um, you've had this happen to you simply as a church member or a believer. People will even lie about you to come and get to you. In verse 9, David comes out and he says, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? People were saying they were just firing Saul up. He was the king. He was powerful. They saw how much this bothered him, and so he gathered men around him that would tell him the things that he wanted to hear. He wanted to justify his anger, so he put men around him who told him, David is really after you. Saul had convinced himself that he was doing the right thing. They will pursue you. They pursued David, and they will lie about you. They lied about David. And there may be an opportunity for you to avenge yourself. It's what we see there in verses 3 through 7. David has this incredible wrapped with a bow opportunity to avenge himself against Saul, the one who has thrown a spear at his head and missed. I mean, you have to be pretty close to someone to cut off the corner of their robe. Can you imagine? He was right there, had the opportunity. It would have been just as easy, maybe easier, to cut off his head than just to cut off his robe. We see in this, when David cuts off the corner of Saul's robe, there's more to it than meets the eye. The robe for the king was symbolic of his right as the king, his authority. And so when David crawls up to him, reaches out and cuts off the corner, in an, in inst in an essence, he's, what he's doing is, he's saying, I could have taken the kingdom from you. 
when he holds it up to Saul, Saul knows that. Saul sees that this is the one who will become king. He tells us later on, this is the one who's promised to become king. Saul knows he could have taken my kingdom from me instantly. But he didn't. What do you think? Would David have been justified to do so? We justify ourselves in all sorts of situations, don't we? I mean, you're sitting there at that traffic light, and everybody knows that traffic light. You, got it, you know the, the timing of this thing. You only got so many seconds once this thing turns green till it turns red again. So you cannot, you, you can't, you know, fool around with this thing. Once it turns green, you've got to go. And lo and behold, you're sitting beside, behind somebody that apparently doesn't get it. And they sit there. And then they pick up their phone or they put down their phone. And you get angry. And you lay on the horn. And I hope that's all you do. And we justify ourselves. We justify ourselves in our anger. And it's, traffic is one of those sort of comedic examples of how we can justify ourselves. But if you look in your life, there is something either going on currently or something that has happened or something that will happen that you have found yourself or will find yourself justifying why you should be able to or why you did avenge yourself. And looking in from the outside, we probably could look at this and say, yes, David, every right to take his life. I mean, Saul's coming after him. Why shouldn't he take Saul out before Saul takes him out? Well, David doesn't feel that way. I mean, God had promised to make David the king, but he had done so on his own time and in his own way. And David understood this. David understood that the throne was not his to take. The throne would come to him when God brought the throne and how God brought the throne. Just because you have an opportunity to avenge yourself doesn't mean that you should take it. God could be testing you. He could be testing to see if you will trust Him or whether or not you will take matters into your own hands. After all, God was the one who had appointed Saul to be king. Turn over to, uh, just one chapter over, to chapter 26, verse 9. We see David's rationale in this. He has another opportunity to kill Saul. In verse 9 of chapter 26, But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? See, David's rationale was, I still remember when... God anointed Saul as king. And until God removes him, in my eyes, he's still the king. And I don't have a right to touch God's anointed. Look, if you will, to Proverbs 21, verse 1. Proverbs 21, verse 1 um, deals with this. 
David understood this all too well. He said, he writes, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. David understood this, that this man who has been put in front of me, who has no idea that I'm here, I could take him out. But I won't, because he is the Lord's anointed. When God wants to take him out, God will simply tilt his hand, shift his hand, and Saul will be through. God will do whatever he wants to do, and I will leave it up to God. God could be testing you when you have that opportunity to avenge yourself. Will you trust him or take matters into your own hands? God may be producing in you his own character. Um, I, I saw some, some carryover, some parallel with our passage this morning in this particular text. The Bible here says that, that when David comes out of the cave and Saul has come out, David comes out and he calls to Saul, says that he falls down on the ground. And he puts his face on the ground and he lies prostrate before Saul and he pays homage. It's the same thing that Mephibosheth did. Mephibosheth then comes to David later on and does the same thing that David had done to Saul. Lays down, pays homage. David knew what it was like to be in that position that Mephibosheth would find himself in. He knew what it was to be dependent on mercy and grace. If David didn't learn mercy and trust here in this particular passage before Saul, we may not have had the example of adoption in our text this morning. I found it also interesting that, that David here in this text tonight calls himself a dead dog. Well, if you'll remember, that's what Mephibosheth called himself to David in our text this morning. I think, I think the reason that David acted the way he did toward Mephibosheth was because David had been in Mephibosheth's shoes. David had had God produce his character in him. And then down in verses 10 through 12, David chose to let God avenge him. In verses 10 through 12, uh, in our text tonight, Behold this day, your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against the Lord, uh, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. David came to this place where he said, whatever Saul does to me, that's between me and him, but I'm going to let the judge, the, the ultimate judge, avenge me before Saul. He understood, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. If we will obey the Lord, 
we can rest assured that sooner or later God will take care of our adversaries. If we simply obey, it may not be that we get justice in this life. Maybe you've been really, really hurt. Maybe someone has really, really done you wrong. They may not ever come to pay for it in front of you. Some of you right now are eaten up with bitterness, just hoping that you get to see them pay for what they did. You realize that you may never get to see that? And your refusal to forgive and and lingering in that bitterness is hurting no one but yourself. Now, one of my favorite quotes, I shared it with you once before, I think when we were over at Woods Chapel, about unforgiveness is when we refuse to forgive someone, it's like drinking a bottle of poison and expecting someone else to die. God will ultimately deal with those because God is a God of justice. But it may not be in front of us. And who's to say it should? God, David here chooses to let God avenge him. Now, this does not mean that there are not, there's not ever a case where you should take matters and do what you can with them. For instance, a rape victim. A rape victim should seek help, should press charges, should do everything they can to get that individual locked up. There, there are cases... There are cases before as a pastor where a married couple have come to me and wanted to know what they should do and wanting me to say that it was okay for them to divorce. And I would never tell them to divorce, but I I have referred people that they should separate. You should separate for a while because you've got to get some distance between you so that you can work these issues out. Separate for a season so that hopefully in the end there can be real reconciliation that comes back together. There are times, my point is, there are times when you have been wronged and you do need to do some things. But there are many times when you will be wronged, when they will come after you, when they will lie about you, when they will do all they can to not just kill you but to annihilate you. And the best thing to do is to let vengeance be the Lord's. In the end of this story, I won't read you the whole text again, but in verses 13 through 22, the Bible says there that Saul's heart has changed. That he comes out and he says things like, David, is that you? You, you've, You've been kinder to me than I ever was to you. You've done good to me when I was trying to do evil to you, but I was trying to do evil to you when you did nothing but good to me. I mean, think about what David had done to Saul. Nothing. In fact, he had enlarged his kingdom. He had sat by him playing the harp, trying to soothe him. He had done all these things. He he was a best friend to Saul's son, Jonathan. All of these things. And Saul wanting to do evil to David. And David, in the middle of it, we, we, we would say, he's right to do whatever he wants to do to Saul. But David chooses to let 
God be the judge. And in the end, we see Saul's heart change here. Saul's heart changes, or so it appears at least. He comes out and he says, you're going to be the king. But before you become the king, let me, let me just get you to do this one thing for me, David. Swear to me that when you do, that you won't cut me off. That you won't destroy all of my descendants. That when, you, when the kingdom, when the dynasty switches from me to you, that you won't destroy my family. And the Bible here says that David swears that he won't. And that's why we find him in the position that he was this morning looking for Anyone of the house of Saul of whom I may show kindness to. But then I want you to notice that it says, the very last line, Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. David was no dummy. Saul's heart had temporarily changed, but it really was only temporary. And David knew enough based on previous encounters with Saul that he couldn't be trusted. And instead of just letting his guard down and going back home, instead he goes back up to the stronghold. He doesn't let his guard down for one minute. We will have opportunities to avenge ourselves. We will have opportunities to let God get the glory in all of it. We must also be on our guard because we ultimately have an adversary who really wants to do more than simply kill us. He wants to annihilate us. That adversary is Satan himself. And the good things that you see God doing here in our midst at Abner Creek, the devil would love to destroy. And there are times when we need to do what we can do. But then there are also other times when we simply need to pray and say, God, protect us. God, be God. God, you get glory. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the example of David and Saul. Lord, there are so many times when I I see, I see myself in both of them. And unfortunately, most of the time what I see is in the bad qualities of them. God, I pray that in this issue of dealing with adversaries, Lord, that you would show us, show me exactly how to handle those situations. Lord, that you would be our vengeance. That we would trust you in the middle of all of it. That we would look for what you are doing in the midst of us. That that you would build your character into us. So that years from now, there would be occasions where we would say, we would never see the grace of God in this area if it hadn't been for what we went through then. God, I pray you would continue to do your work through us. Lord, I love, I love being the pastor here. And God, I pray that I would love you and love it through the good times as well as the bad. God, that we would see you be glorified in 
all of it. That you would be our portion. That we would treasure you above all other things. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.